Welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. The Celtics, they drop Game 5, 104-94 to after bookending the game with terrible first and fourth quarters and daring Andrew Wiggins to beat us and then losing on that front. Joining us to talk all about it, Wayne Spoonie. Spoons, how you doing, sir? Um... Doing my best to not turn this podcast in like a, into a moratorium on the season. Trying to keep the hope, right? Let it flow, man. I know. I'm the guy in the Milwaukee series who said, if there's one Celtics team you should always have faith in and always believe in, because they've shown us time and time again, you got to trust in them. It's this one. So I'm trying to keep the spirits up. Look, going home, game six, you win that. And you got to think they have a pretty good chance of winning it. They'll probably be favored. And then it's game seven. And who the hell knows, right? We've already beat them in San Francisco. So it's not out of the realm of possibility. But man, it feels like an uphill climb. You right just now, flipped man. your mindset around. <laughs> yeah, we're good. You just we're flipped it around on the season spot there. seven. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have been having that mental tug of war for the past yeah. 24 hours or so. So I, I get it. I think most people listening are probably in the same boat. Yeah. Uh, let's just let's breeze through this one because I think most people, first of all, if you're tuning in and you're the type that likes to torture yourself with Celtics content after a loss, good on you. Thank you for joining us. We Appreciate are going to breeze it. through this and, and make it uh, as easy as possible. Let's start with this, Spoonie. Uh, there's a long list of things to get to here. What went wrong in this one for the Celtics? So I have... Three numbers for you, Ben. Ten. Great. The number of missed free throws. 22 to nine. (laughs) Yeah, the points points scored off turnovers between Golden State and the Celtics. And, if I may, minus 24.1. That is Al Horford's net rating in this series when he is not on the court with Robert Williams. So we are wow. getting murdered in Al Horford's minutes. And when Rob's on the court with them, they're plus 0.5. So we basically are neutral. And when just Rob is out there without Horford, plus 15.4 net rating. So unfortunately, it feels like in some ways, Al's old legs are finally at the worst time catching up to us, man, because he just looks like the Warriors are spacing us out. OPJ is starting now, and Al just cannot hang as the nominal four right now. And I wonder if Udoka sticks with him in heavy minutes, but it's do or die time. It's the NBA Finals. Like, I love you, Al, but if it's not working, it's not working. So those are the big things for me is, the missed free throws are just infinite. Would we lose this game by 10 and we miss 10 free throws mm-hmm. and we get crushed yep. <laughs> in turno- points off turnovers again? And it just feels like so fixable and yet they just can't fix it. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a tale as old as time, at least as, as far as this postseason goes. And uh, I would, I'll first of all, cross all of those things off my list because I had all of those as well. <laughs> the first and the fourth quarter. Um, so sticking with the first quarter and sort of sticking with what you just said with regards to Al and Rob, 
Do you anticipate a starting lineup change? Because you were saying this in our playback stream yesterday, Spoons, that we're, we're digging ourselves these holes with these double big lineups out of the gate. It seems like from the you know, third-party standpoint outside of the team, the obvious thing to do would be to change that starting lineup and then not dig yourself that hole. Do you anticipate some movements on that front in game six? So I thought it was strange in the game you and I were in the building for, Ben. Game three, he took out Rob with like after like two and a half minutes and put in Derek White. And I don't think he's been doing that since. And we've lost two straight. So that is bizarre to me. I think the the big problem right now is that I get why Yudoka is sticking with it because those are our five best players, if that makes sense. Grant just cannot get his head out of his ass. Like, he is doing some of mm-hmm. the dumbest shit that in game three, he, he was locked in, great on defense, 10 points, was getting to the rim, was making plays. And we're just a different team when that type of Grant Williams shows up because we need him for this series. Like, he is the exact type of big bodied, switchable three point shooter that, like, fits against the Warriors perfectly. So, but he's just been like, borderline unplayable at times with some of these dumb mistakes he's making, especially committing like terrible fouls. And then Derek White, I mean, we're pretty small if we go smart white at Jays and you give up part of why our defense was so great is that we just overwhelm you with like size and athleticism and White's a great defender. But when we're locked in with the double bigs, like that's was the best defensive lineup in the league for a reason. Um, So I I really, I don't know what to expect from Yudoka, man. He has been so resistant to that change. And again, though, it's like, it's put up or shut up time, man. Like, we know it's not really working. So just maybe we try something else or like, this is what got us here. We didn't play... This was ultimately could have been a very close game or a win if we just didn't make some very mm-hmm. fixable mistakes. So maybe he looks at it that way and is like, gentlemen, stop turning the ball over and we'll win. I don't know, Ben. Do you think he's going to go away from it? Well, it's important to remember that he is a rookie head coach who has coached his team you know, into the, the later stages of the, the finals sure. in, his, in his first uh, year as a coach. So I guess... With that, we do need to temper our expectations. Uh, but you're right. He is stubborn, so I don't necessarily see him changing the starting lineup. I, I see him maybe uh, making modifications to the rotations and, you know, sitting certain guys earlier and bringing certain guys um, in sooner. It's a pretty vague response, uh, which is, a, I guess, a long <laughs> way of saying I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, but I, you we're know, in agreement. Grant Williams was terrible. Yeah, Gray Williams was terrible and has been terrible. He hasn't had a good game, I think, since like game seven of the Bucks series. Derek White, they're just going at him relentlessly uh, on defense or on, on their offense, um, I, I suppose, because he's the lesser of many evils. You know, he's not typically the kind of uh, uh, exploitable defensive matchup that you would go at, but he's just like the, the least capable defender of everyone on the court at most times. Right. And they're having a lot of success there, which is kind of shocking because- Typically, he can hold his own on the defensive end. Um, you, you write those spoons. This could have been a very winnable game. It seemed like in that third quarter, it was going to be a winnable game until that fourth quarter bed shitting. Uh, Reddit user Han Roro said, we really needed to win game four at home. It's not over, yes. but if we're not hitting simple free throws, we don't deserve a ring. I mean, game four, we were up, I think, heading into the fourth quarter or halfway through the fourth quarter. 
This one, similar momentum heading into the fourth quarter and that inability to close games might be sort of the the standout factor when this series is all said and done. We, we got this far, but we just couldn't close because our best player is 24 years old, still learning a lot. Second best player, 25. Jalen Brown had a terrible game. Add that to the list terrible. of what went wrong. And of course, rookie head coach, Ime uh, Odoka. Yeah, uh, actually, that it's interesting you hit that comment because that was something I was going to talk about. Is like I actually am not. If we lose this series, I will not think twice about Game Five on the road. You know, against Steph Curry and Co. What I will be thinking about nonstop is the last. Yeah, I think it was like seven minutes to go when we were up six in in that Game Four. That is the game you had to have. Unless you mount an all-time comeback, which is possible, but um, mm-hmm. that game will keep me up at night, man. Just and I actually thought we played a lot better in that fourth quarter in Game Four than we did this one. We took a lot of threes, but a lot of them were good shots and good looks. And like, we just missed him. Yeah, two of those, two of those eight or ten, whatever open threes go in. All of a sudden, it flips the game on its head in an entirely different way. And we might be having a discussion like, hey, it's 3-2 Celtics going back home. Let's win a championship in game six. So that I, I think yep. that's the, that comment is exactly how I feel. It's game four was the problem, not game five. Like, this was always going to be a very difficult game to win. And then you see Tony Brothers out there, and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> this is not yep. ideal. So, uh and then they just, you know, come out, Tatum throws it in the stands for his first pass, and it's just like, oh boy, here we go. So I thought they actually fought pretty hard considering how poorly, how often they turned it over. They turned it over one out of mm-hmm. every five possessions. Not going to get it done. <laughs> no, You're not going to win that way. Absurd. A game in the regular season, let alone a championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. I- hopefully Scott Foster is somewhere in the USA there packing his bags for Boston, preparing to extend Scotty. the series to seven. That's uh, that's all we can hope for at this point. Celtics MVP <laughs> of the postseason, Scott Foster. Um, here's another stat for you, Spoons, in, in the uh, realm of what went wrong. 10 versus 31. And that's, of course, the difference in bench points between the Celtics mm. and the Warriors. And, you know, three of those points was an awesome Luke Cornett three-pointer to, uh, to wrap the game up. Maybe the moment of the game. Uh, and that's, you know, not going to get it done as well. We talked about Grant Williams. We talked about Derek White. We got nothing really from Peyton Pritchard, and he had a couple of good open looks there. Um, really, like, it's hard to put the blame on this game on anyone. I think if I had to hang it on any one player, this might be controversial. Maybe not. Curious to hear your thoughts here, Spooty. Jalen Brown, I just thought this was one of his worst games of the postseason so far. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I I uh, I am very resistant to blaming any one player for a loss because Jalen has also completely saved our ass in this series and is the reason a lot of these games have been close or we've won them. So I hate to blame Jalen, but this was a disaster from him at the worst possible moment, including he opened basically opened the fourth quarter when we had a lot of momentum with back, those back-to-back live ball turnovers where he just lost the handle yep. And man, after the Jordan Poole banked in three and then like basically back to back turnovers, I was like, oh, shit, (laughs) I do not like where this is headed (laughs) one bit. So, yeah, if you look at we actually had a more assists than the Warriors by a a couple. Um, So 
when we didn't pass it to them or dribble it off our toes or Pritchard stepped out of bounds again. Pritchard does that once a game where he mm-hmm. just walks out of bounds. Um, but we, but the assist to turnover ratio was one to one for us and three point three to one for them, despite us having more That's assists. Insane. Which is, yeah, it's <laughs> it, which is ridiculous. <laughs> And it just goes to show, like, I, we sound like, you know, a broke, we sound like a broken record here, but the turnovers are just so obviously what is submarining this team, like, that it's, like, painful to watch it happen again and again. And it just, like, is turnovers that you don't expect a team in the finals to make, like, literally bouncing it off our feet or throwing it to no one. I mean, um, but, you know, you got to credit the Warriors defense in some ways too. like, this is not happening in a vacuum. They're playing their absolute balls off. And from Curry on down the lineup, they're playing really, really, they're giving like a championship effort. They're very locked in on the defensive end, even if they don't have like the physical athletes that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And six turnovers for the Warriors against the league's best defense, like not necessarily the playoffs best defense, but that's huge. Like it clearly shows the, like the championship hoop acumen that they have amassed over time. Like, that's what we're up against. We're up against, like, one of the best all-time teams. Sure, they don't have Durant anymore, but, you know, they filled in those gaps nicely uh, and Wiggins as well, who we'll get to. Um, Another comment here from Guitar Patch, who says, the body language was atrocious last night. It looked as if they were playing themselves on top of the Warriors at times. Can't have that. Spoons, are you a big body language guy? Did Did you pick up on that on this game? I'm not. I I I don't love sort of. Bill Simmons always used to do like the body language doctor and stuff like that. I mean, yep. <laughs> I I'm not a huge fan of it because you know, like at one time, you know, Tatum will look like he's bummed and then he hits like back to back step back threes in somebody's face and then he's pumped. You know what I mean? Like those things change very yep. quickly. So this team has been. You know what I think it is? I think we are seeing. And this is a testament to the Warriors getting it done in the in the Western Conference and a testament to the Celtics not closing teams out earlier when they had the opportunity. I think the Celtics are just fucking gassed. I really think that's yep. what a lot of this boils down to. Like Tatum and Brown looked fucking dead in that fourth quarter. Tatum airballed like mid-range jumpers that were contested, but not that contested. Like mm-hmm. that dude at least catches some rim. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they're just like, yeah. you know, this is why you close teams out in, you know, that's why you need to beat Miami in six. So you don't put a game seven wear and tear against Jimmy Butler on your bodies because those minutes matter deep into the finals. Um, and the Warriors, you know, back to your point, Ben, championship acumen. They're like, okay, the Nikola Jokic and Monte Morris Nuggets, see ya, fellas. And then, um, you know, yep. they rolled over <laughs> Memphis and like they just look the fresher team to me. Um, and that matters in these fourth quarters. And we've been the beneficiary of other teams wearing down throughout this playoffs. And that's just not happening right now. Yeah. I mean, hopefully that becomes a factor that as, as long as the series yeah. goes and particularly if we can extend it to seven, that maybe the Warriors do begin to tie up. But I'm, I'm clutching at straws here and spoons as a means of sort of pushing this thing along and, and, and getting this podcast <laughs> over and done with to some extent. I'm going to rattle off the remaining things on my what went wrong list and choose one of them. So 
Clay's two threes in the third quarter that sort of, you know, stopped our run and pulled them back. The officiating, Marcus Smart's tech, which you could roll into officiating, and the Warriors' role players, Wiggins and Clay. We, we forced them to, to win through anyone other than Steph Curry. And we, we actually did a good job of that. But unfortunately, they, um, they were up to the task on that occasion. So, do any of those um, stand out to you as, as what went particularly wrong? Not just those two Clay threes that he hit in the third quarter, but I think Clay Thompson hit five, three to- five threes total. And every single one of them felt like a backbreaker for various reasons. Like you said, those two in the third quarter, those were run stoppers. And we've shown that we can go on monster runs against this Golden State team. And Clay was just like, nope, here's six points, keeping us in it. And then Jordan Poole hits that crazy ass three. And then Smart with the mega flop in the fourth quarter. And Clay hits that in his eye while Tony Brothers just like is shaking his head at Marcus Smart. Yeah. <laughs> and that one felt like, oh, shit, we were close and now we're not really close anymore. Uh, and so I would definitely say Clay's performance and Wiggins was a beast, man. He was like the best player on the court, which is insane to say. Mm-hmm. But I don't think Wiggins has another performance like that in him. But man. They got that performance from him at the absolute perfect time. So I guess I'm I'm answering their role players was the biggest thing, even though I started talking about Clay's two threes in the third quarter. <laughs> so I will I will change my answer and say their role players, especially Clay and Wiggins. And I thought Draymond was really impactful in this game. He didn't score a ton, but I thought this was easily Draymond's best game in the series. Yeah, he had one of his like classic triple single games. It was like eight, seven, and eight or something, and a, and a yeah. really solid um, like on off numbers as well. Um, but yeah, that that answer just reeks of a little bit of everything. Like the the, yeah. the Warriors did uh, all the little things well to to pull this one out, and we did a lot of we had a lot of um, mental mistakes, and yet we were ten made free throws or ten missed free throws away from you know you know going into overtime. So. Right. It just maybe the optimistic takeaway is we can we can still afford to do a lot wrong, and if we just take care of the basics like free throws and turnovers, then we can put ourselves in a position to win the game, maybe the series. Who knows? It's not over yet. Uh, this is a much shorter list, Spoonie. Uh, what we did well in this game, I saved Jason Tatum for this list because he, he obviously had a lot of poor moments in this game, but particularly coming out in that third quarter, like he had one assist only in the first half. He had three assists. Uh, to make it four total maths for you right there in uh, the second <laughs> half. And I, I thought this was one of his better games of the of the finals for sure. What did you think about Tatum and just generally what the Celtics did well in this game? Yeah, um, I thought Tatum, he was not perfect. He was. I'm not even sure he was great, but I think he was good enough for us to win the game, if that makes sense. Um, and also, he had four turnovers. I don't think you can blame him for like two of those. At least twice he got yeah. doubled and just nobody came to help him and no one moved. Like, what? what is he supposed to do? Like, shoot it? <laughs> He's got two guys on him. And uh, so I thought he was accepting the double teams, moving the ball, and they really did. They didn't double him until he went off in that third quarter and they were just trying to single cover him. And once he kind of realized that, I thought he really took it to him and he was getting into his step back over shorter defenders. And it was kind of that third quarter was everything you hoped to see from Jason Tatum. And then in the fourth quarter, 
the Warriors were like, we're just taking the ball out of his hands. He's not beating us and dared other people to beat him. And, you know, we've already talked about what went wrong. So I will not, not discuss that. But <laughs> another big thing, like, again, Tatum was good enough. Um, the defense was actually really good. This was our second best defensive yep. rating for a game in the series, um, which you got to hope is good enough to win the game. Unfortunately, it was also our second worst offensive rating in the series. So that sort of balances itself <laughs> not a good out. Pairing. But no, definitely not a great pairing. But you got to think like maybe we figured something out here with Curry. I thought we did a much better job not letting him kind of get to his spots or get in these like isolations where he's got all sorts of space and you can't bring help over. Um, so I thought, and he did miss some makeable shots, but I just thought we did a really good job hounding Steph Curry, making his life miserable. And you got to think game six in Boston, Andrew Wiggins isn't hitting a bunch of fadeaways from mid range to kind of keep them in the game. So I would say Tatum's I'm touching wood right now. Spoots. Yeah. Can you hear that? Uh, <laughs> Tatum's performance hopefully is kind of a bellwether. Maybe we see another game six, Milwaukee Tatum. And then, you know, if we keep playing defense like that, who knows? You know, who knows? Like that was a pretty good defensive performance. Yeah, absolutely. And on Tatum's performance, I, I thought, and I guess this sort of filters into adjustments to be made for game six, but I thought the Warriors did a really good job of nullifying what we like to do or what Tatum likes to do out of double teams. And the the passes that are usually available to him when he gets doubled, the, the Warriors did a really good job of shutting that down. And so adjustment wise, the Celtics need to do a much better job of moving off ball you know, running to Tatum, flaring, whatever it is, getting into open space mm-hmm. to to open up some passing lanes there uh, for Tatum. And then on the defensive side, like you said, we did a really good job of, of shutting down Steph Curry. There needs to, obviously, this is a very obvious takeaway, needs to be sort of a secondary focus on the, the key role players for the Warriors, like Andrew Wiggins, like Clay Thompson. Great. Shut down Steph Curry. Maybe don't take your eye completely off Wiggins or Clay because <laughs> yeah, those right. are, you know... The, I won't say elite NBA players, but they're very, very capable role players um, in a very, very capable system um, who are obviously capable of taking us down if they're not given the right amount of attention there. So those are some adjustments to look for in, in game six. Any Anything else adjustment-wise, Spoons, before we move on? Yeah, uh, just to kind of put uh, a little more detail on what you were saying about when Tatum gets doubled, what they're really Please. doing is attacking the strong side. So... They're taking away basically his first and second read. And you saw a couple times he whipped it like opposite corner all the way to Grant Williams. One time it got picked off. One time it led to a Rob Williams dunk. But that's a really fucking hard pass, especially with two people in your face. So, yeah, like somebody that that guy in the weak side corner is going to be completely uncovered. And if it's Grant Williams or if it's Derek White, they need to get into a position where Tatum can see him, get him the ball. And they're dangerous, right? So, like, if Derek White catches the ball at the free throw line without anyone on him, that's probably two points. But we saw it many times where it's like nobody moved, which is, it was like almost bizarre at times where we were calling it out on the stream. Yeah. It's like, what is going on? Someone moved. So, I think yeah. that's a very simple adjustment that can be made. Also, I'd like to see a little more Pritchard because we cannot fucking score. And Pritchard's done fine defensively, and he really opens up the offense. Like, when Jalen sits, I think Squim Jim on the sh- screams, scr- Squim Jim on the stream said this, that he would <laughs> like to see... When, yeah, I know. Seriously, dude. Uh, when Jalen sits, 
run D. White and Peyton Pritchard out there with Tatum, which I actually wrote about. Um, those three have really great chemistry. Uh, and, you know, that really opens things up for Tatum. So I'd like to see a little more Pritchard. I'm surprised he didn't get any run when we were throwing the didn't get more run in that fourth quarter when we could not hit the backboard seemingly at times. So uh, and then I just think the biggest adjustment is like pull your head out of your ass, Grant Williams, because Al is 36 years old and we need you, dude. We just we just need you if we're going to win this series. All right. Well, look, as a, as a means of moving on to game six, there's a Reddit comment here from Boston Bias. They say, weird mix of emotions right now. Heartbroken and disappointed at how close we are to a championship that feels like it's slipping away. Still a little shell-shocked by the in-season turnaround. Optimistic that this series isn't over yet. Pessimist- pessimistic that this just doesn't look like the team that has what it takes to get over this hump. Optimistic that this team went from a middling team with no identity contemplating a dissolution of its stars to feeling like they should be winning a title and that has its entire core returning for next year and the ability to add one to two more pieces. Anxiety-ridden that the, quote, they'll be back here again, end quote, team doesn't always make it back. Where does that sit with you, Spoonie? Like, I know it's hard for Celtics fans right now because we're knocking on the door of a title. And yet, you know, given the expectations going into the season, the fact that we're even here to begin with is is kind of insane. So have you had sort of have you taken a moment to sort of digest where you're at emotionally with this team? Yeah, I, I, I will be very disappointed if slash when we lose this series. But <laughs> Shit. Um, I think that you'd have to be an incredible pessimist not to be excited about this team's future. And I hear the counter argument of like, they may never get back here. Durant, Harden, and Westbrook never got back there. Yeah, well, they traded James Harden like the next season. All right, don't trade Jalen Brown, uh, you know, and also a lot of young stars who make the finals early also do make it back there very often even and win multiple titles often (laughs) sometimes. So like this is a big time bellwether that the team has constructed around the Jays works, works at the highest level is giving Golden State Everything they can handle. Um, I mean, I know it looks ugly in these past two fourth quarters, but like we're up two one and we're a couple boneheaded turnovers or a couple missed open threes away from being up three two right now. And so we're given the Golden State. This is they are not rolling over this team in any way, shape or form. Yeah, like Boston Bias said, this team is completely locked up. The only guy who isn't going to be here long term is Al Horford. And we got a $17 million TPE with all of our future picks untouched to go get another piece to add to this core. And we're young. Like, Pritchard's young. Mm -hmm. Grant Williams can definitely get better. Definitely. Rob Williams can definitely get better. And by far, most importantly, the Jays will 100% get better. Like, I don't know why we keep thinking they're finished products when every year they both come back and are better players than they were the year before that. So, yeah, it's (laughs) going to fucking suck if we lose. But goddamn, am I excited? Like, four months ago, we were, like, so bummed and we're like, where is this team is in no man's (laughs) land? And now we're two wins away from winning the finals with a 24-year-old and 25-year-old leading the team. Like, I wouldn't trade this team for any other team in the NBA's next five years. So, like, all right, it'll mm-hmm. suck. I'll get probably fairly drunk the night we lose. 
And then I'm going to start making off-season content, <laughs> content baby, because I'm ready to go. Yeah, that's right. It's going to be a big off-season for us in this podcast. Yeah. And I mean, I would add to that that this is Marcus Smart's first year at the helm. And while he's point. You know, age-wise in his prime, it's, it's his first year with this job. And so, you know, it, it makes sense to assume that he's only going to get better at it and more comfortable in that role. Uh, and of course, Ime Adoka, first year head coach, um, and his staff as well, all relatively new in those roles. Um, you can imagine they're going to get a lot better there as well. But hey, we're still two wins away from the finals. We're still alive. Let's not do the offseason rambled yet. Although right. it's difficult not to sort of foray in, into that headspace. Predictions for game six, Spoonie. What do you think is going to happen? I, I, actually, <laughs> uh, I actually think we win this game. I do. I don't know why. I had a horrible feeling about game five, but I, I have a really good feeling about game six. And then, like I said, man, game seven, who the fuck knows? I do think we're going to get some Scotty Foster love. I'm very encouraged by Tatum's play. Um, and then if we get the Jalen Brown we've gotten for the, you know, earlier in this series with Tatum playing like that, I don't think they can beat us. Um, and you got to think. Like the Heat series, Ben, do you remember me and you were on the pod and we were just like, just shoot it. Like, don't turn it over. Take a bad yeah. <laughs> shot. Like, who cares? Yeah. We got Absolutely. Al or Rob down there, too. Like, just take a bad shot. So I wonder if we see some more of like Tatum's just going to take like 13 threes and just like, fuck it. Let's see what happens. I ain't turning it over today. Um, so I, I feel pretty good <laughs> about our chances in game six. I think, uh, you know, we just... I don't know. I'm fucking I'm scared, man. It's going to be it's going to be sad to have this season go and end this season. But I, I think we go to game seven. How about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I got to go with C's in, in game six. Just the response factor coming back after they, they probably do have a sense that they gave this one away with those silly mistakes yeah. that we covered. And we've seen them respond by having way fewer turnovers and a higher free throw rate, you know, going into the following game. I'll add to that the the previous logic of they would lose a game and always respond with a win. So therefore, if they lose two games, right, they've got to respond with two wins. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm going to sleep yeah. at night picking. <laughs> so, but I do think that they have a lot that they can tidy up. That's not um, particularly difficult to wrap your head around. So I do think, and that the home court factor as well, and maybe the fact that most of the Warriors post game were like, "We guarantee we're going to win in Boston." Like that's that's bulletin board material for the locker room. In yeah. Boston for the Celtics. Um, also, underrated factor, there's probably nothing to this. Tatum shot a lot better in this game, and I did not see him rub his shoulder Agreed. Once yeah. in this game. So, I wonder if that shoulder's feeling better at all, and if that feeds into what you were saying, Spoonie, where he could just start to jack up more shots. A Tatum miss is, is better than a live ball turnover 10 times out of 10. So, let's send it back to uh, to Golden State, to San Francisco for a seventh game. Anything could happen. The Warriors could have an off night. You know, we could have Scott Foster there willing us to a, to a championship. Um, there's so much that could happen. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm very excited as always. So before we go, Ben, if you listen to our podcast or join us on the playbacks or subscribe to the YouTube channel, and if you're not, you should do all three of those things. Uh, so you may know. Absolutely. Ben flew in from Sydney, Australia for games three and four. I joined him in uh, what was also a grueling trip from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So very, very uh, similarly <laughs> far away. Uh, but one of the things we were joking about is Ben 
having noticed some subtle differences between Australia and the United States. And we're not talking about stuff like they talk different. I mean, like the real small shit that only like a guy like Ben would notice, uh, you know, like the goofy faux pas <laughs> that you would not commit otherwise. So, Ben, I believe you have constructed a top five subtle differences between the United States and Australia. And so please take it away. The floor is yours. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Booty. That's right. There are some <laughs> subtle differences uh, between the US and Australia. Never mind the tipping or the driving, the taxes not factored <laughs> into the price tags on shelves. Oh, yeah. There are, you know, they're all things that you can sort of mentally prepare for on arrival, those things. So I present to you the top five subtle differences between the USA and Australia. Number five, shower taps and all faucets. <laughs> I'm talking about checking your hotel room, your Airbnb, you're weary, maybe a little sweaty from your travels, better have a shower, right? Cue five, ten minutes spent trying to make the water come out of the shower faucet, not the bath tap. All these kinds of bits and bobs and levers and little mechanical devices on the wall of the shower, none of which seem to have sort of the desired effect. Took me a long time to pull all of the correct levers just to get the freaking water to come out of the shower, which seems crazy to me. Like, you're in a hotel, shower is probably the primary use of the bathroom other than the toilet. Just make it easy. Make it easy on your foreign guests. Subtle, subtle difference between the two great nations. Number four. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm talking about you say thank you to any American and their default response seems to be, yeah. And then they walk away. Uh, I'm used to a thank you, you're welcome. Um, that seems to be the sort of the common exchange verbally between uh, two people, one thanking the other. The the yeah and the head nod and the walking away is uh, something I'm not, like, always sort of left me- <laughs> I've never thought about um, that. Shocked and I'm like, okay, <laughs> where do I, where do we go from here? Like, am I, do I walk away now? Like, have, have you had that experience? Has that ever stood out as, as weird to you, Spoons? Yeah, I think, first of all, that's definitely, I think, a New England, like Massachusetts thing. Because down, like, I, I moved okay. from from Bo from Massachusetts to West Virginia, and people are much more sort of, there's more manners down here. Whereas Mass, it's just like, why uh -huh. is this motherfucker thanking me? Like, get away from me, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. It's something I never noticed, but I yeah, just I'm think like it's, I've grown up with it. You know, my, I grew up with it my whole life. Or um, So now that you point that out, that is true. Like, yep. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three. Point of sale. I'm talking about you go to a bar, you order a beer, uh, and the expectation for, I think, most foreigners is I'll take that beer, I'll exchange some sort of uh, repayment, some cash, a card, and then that's the end of the transaction. But every time, no matter whether you're sitting at the bar, you're sitting at a table, you're standing around somewhere in the bar, like I was many times catching COVID, um, they, they, you know, they just give you the beer and you got to come back and, and close it out. There's a, tr a trust system there. And just the very, the, the term close it out is it's not common elsewhere in the world. You just say, yeah, mate, I want to fix you up for this one. I'd like to pay for my goods and services, please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but instead it's like, oh, you want to close it out. You want to close it out. And unless you use those terms, the, that phrase, then, you know, you never end up paying for your beer or whatever it is that you've ordered. It's very strange and it takes some getting used to. Yeah, so real, real quick, I think that serves a twofold purpose. One, it saves the bartender time having to like run your card if you drink seven beers seven different times. And two, 
it is absolutely a way for you to just like forget money exists as you drink and drink more. There's no doubt in my oh, yeah. mind. That but, happened. Uh, that's an oddity <laughs> of the United States I personally love. It almost feels like you're home, man. I could just go up there and get a beer and there's zero consequences. It's uh, at home, at least here in Australia, they've got the like tappable FPOS things on the bar. You just, they give you your beer, you tap your card, you leave some money on the ah. bar, you walk away. Want another beer? You come back and pay for it. It's uh, it's a simple system, but you know each each uh, nation probably feels like theirs is more logical and makes more sense. So um, that's just all uh, part of the fun of traveling. Number two, U.S. Customs, oh. aka one of the mm-hmm. most terrifying experiences of my yeah. life. Uh, why are you here? Why are you here? What is your purpose coming into the nation of America? I'm just here to see some basketball games, man. Is it business or pleasure? Uh, it's pleasure. I guess I take pleasure in seeing basketball games. What's your address? Oh, I don't know the address of my hotel. I'm sorry. It's in my bag. here somewhere. And they're just staring like into your soul this whole yeah. time. And you're off a 14-hour flight. You're clammy. You're shaking. Uh, and then you get interrogated by one person, you know, representing this entire country. It's, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, I got no defense for that. Our customs yep. is ridiculous. It's so dumb. It's crazy. And number one, and this was the the one I struggled with the most, walking <laughs> on the right. I can attest. <laughs> Booty saw firsthand yeah. me get into some trouble. <laughs> walking on. I understand, you know, in the US, they drive on the right. That's fine. You just get in your car. You follow the car in front of you. Uh, righty tighty, lefty loosey as you, as you turn corners. It's, a, it's an easy sort of process to follow. Walking on the right. Uh, very difficult. And not only that, they're really, really committed to it. If I tried to go left yes. on anyone, they seemed willing to step out onto the road yes. to make sure that I went to the right of them every time. And uh, a few collisions, particularly with people pushing prams or strollers or whatever they're called over there, uh, got myself into some trouble uh, not obeying um, that rule there in the States. So, that was the biggest struggle. And then getting off the plane here in Australia, one of the first signs that I saw was, please ensure you walk to the left. And I almost wept a little bit, like coming back here and, and seeing the instruction to stick to the left because it just felt like I was home again. So, those are the top five subtle differences. Uh, I do have some honorable mentions, actually. One is not please. having to check for spiders in your shoes under the toilet seat. I could just sit down on the shitter. I could put on my shoes, you know, worry-free that some sort of spider or huntsman or funnel web or whatever would be there waiting for me. Uh, and the other honorable mention is that in the US, it smells like weed everywhere, yes, at least in Boston, <laughs> everywhere I went, uh, a lot of weed being smoked. That's fine. Each to their own. Obviously, it's illegal here in Australia. So, um, outside of where I live in Newtown, Sydney, where it does smell like weed everywhere, um, it's not something that you'll uh, encounter very often. So, that's it. Any, uh, any of those stand out to you in particular, Spoons, before we wrap this uh- one up? I will say Ben and I uh, strolled from the Beantown pub, I believe, across from the Boston Common to meet my buddy at James Hook's for lunch. I believe there are two, bumped into two people on that walk alone. (laughs) So that is definitely the one that sticks in my head because you were just like truly discombobulated by it. Like I I can say you truly were just like, God, this is so difficult for me to get used to. So I'm I'm glad uh glad we one we got to hang out dude and meet in person and confirm that we neither of us are AI bots uh over a screen and that you got to enjoy Boston <laughs> in the summer man cuz there's no better city uh for my money at least in the United States in the summer especially when the goddamn Celtics are in the finals so it was awesome dude I had a I great know, time yeah. I hope you enjoyed it 
Oh, dude, like I said on the on the pod, the delirious pod I did with Jay, uh, it was like one of the best days of my life. It was so much fun. Yeah, and uh, shout out to you, buddy, bro, again for for buying us lunch. Shout and for out me bro, forgetting bro. to thank him on that on that podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let us know in the comments, like, are you an Australian who's been to America, an American who's been to Australia? What were some of the strange little differences that you noticed? Before we wrap up, Spoons, any final thoughts on anything that we've discussed? Uh, I guess we've covered everything, but I wanted to leave it open to you in case you had anything else on your mind. Celtics in seven. Let's go, Banner 18. We're doing it, Ben. I'm back. I'm in. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Great place to leave it there. That's going to do it for this one. Thanks for listening. If you're the type who can bear Celtics content, like I said, up the top after a loss, thank you for tuning in. Game six is right around the corner, and thus, so is our next podcast. Wayne Spoonie, love your work, mate. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. All right, folks. Season seven. Until next time, go Celtics. Peace. Peace.